in uh, Luke chapter 19, if you'd like to turn there. Great to see you all today and so many people here. There were quite a few people down at camp. We saw them. We were down there for a couple of days and uh, as Pastor Simon said, uh, a lot of them going to the Bunbury meeting today, so it'd be a lot of fun down there too. Um, so Luke chapter 19, I'll tell you the title in a moment. And uh, we'll just start with one verse. This is Jesus speaking. He's come into Jericho, a significant city. And in verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man, this is Jesus speaking of himself, he says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so if you're sitting here today and you've received the Holy Spirit, as we've heard in two testimonies already, people that have received the Holy Spirit, been baptised according to the Bible instruction by full immersion and received the Holy Spirit with the outward evidence of speaking in tongues, uh, then you are saved in the Bible definition. And when you read this verse, you realise that Jesus is saying, I came to seek you because you were lost and I found you and I saved you, which is pretty special when you think about it, that uh, the Son of God came to seek out you in particular. Because although he's speaking generally here, he's talking about you as well, specifically. And uh, I love to think of this verse in um, a particular verse that I like in Song of Solomon's, which is a the whole book is a conversation, but even though it's in the Old Testament, between Christ and his church, back and forth, the church talking about Jesus and Jesus talking about his church, and it's in prophecy, obviously, because it's Old Testament. But in um, chapter 3, verse 2, it says, I will rise now and go about the city in the streets, and in the broad ways I will seek him whom my soul loveth. I sought him. And that's the church talking about Jesus. I'll go and I'll, I'll seek him. We know that the Bible says in in the New Testament and in John chapter 15, Jesus says, you didn't uh, choose me, I chose you. So we could turn that around and it is a conversation and and put those words into Jesus' mouth. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the broadways, the broadways where many people go, lots of people walking around, and I will seek him or her whom my soul loveth. And he's actually, when you were spoken to, he was actually seeking you out and finding you. He was honing in on you. You know, through Vicky, it was her sister working with Pastor Kevin and then getting baptised and coming home. And as Vicky said, she was the one that was that was interested in 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 God and ever since a little child and uh, sparked up and like, what, what's going on here? You know, and, um, and Michael, you know, sitting in, in the pub and drinking and smoking and then, you know, this strange thing happens. His wife goes to a religious meeting and then he wants to keep his word. He's not that keen, but he keeps his word and the Lord's reeling him in, isn't he? As just as each of us have our own story, a unique testimony, and they're all different. But the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. And it's just a wonderful thing that the Church of God, the body of Christ, we're not just saying it's just a revival fellowship by any means. It's anywhere where the body of Christ is, where people have followed the commandments and uh, followed the instructions and done it the righteous way in spirit and in truth and followed the Lord and, and been saved by Jesus Christ, by his sacrifice, and he sought them out. And how special that is to be part of the body of Christ and all the people said. Amen. Amen. 
But as part, this comment is part of a story, and we'll just go back to verse 1. And there's quite a lot of little prophetic elements to it, uh, little hints and themes and so on, as there always is. And we'll just uh, explore it a little bit. In verse 1 it says, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And Jericho in the Bible often represents the world. You might recall um, the man, the good story of the Good Samaritan. He leaves Jerusalem and goes down to Jericho where he gets beaten up. Um, there's many other examples we could give about Jericho, sort of exemplifying the world, if you like. And, he's, and Jesus has come here. And, of course, Jesus did come into this world and pass through this world. Anyway, I won't get too much into the symbolism straight away. Um, verse 2, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. Now, a publican is not a, a pub keeper somewhere where Michael would have been sitting with his glass of beer. It's the tax collectors, um, and he was the chief among them, and they were notoriously corrupt. They had a commission or a franchise from the Romans, who were the administrators of, of Palestine at this time, to collect the taxes from the Jewish people. And so they were Jewish people who uh, did the work of the Romans and they were notoriously, notoriously corrupt, skimming off money for themselves as they collected these taxes. And so he was rich. He was corrupt. He was wealthy. He was worldly. Verse 3, and he sought to see Jesus, whom, who he was, and he could not for the press because he was little of stature. And he ran, so he's a short person. And he ran before and climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. This man Zacchaeus, the chief of the tax collectors, the chief of the corrupt officials. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is the son of Abraham. He's an Israelite. And remember one time Jesus said, I haven't come except to save the house, you know, the children of the house of Israel, those that are lost. And here he identifies him as such. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And although he was an Israelite, he was lost. He was lost in the world. He was lost to sin and corruption. And as they heard these things, he added and spoke a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. We'll look at that in a moment. But just back to the story of Zacchaeus, and it's really a story about us. Um, we may not have been as rich and corrupt as this man, but we were, um, you know, apart from the Lord, we were looking after our own material comfort, focused on ourselves, and perhaps we were uh, searching in our own way, but we couldn't certainly couldn't find the Lord. Um, I was, I put myself in that category, and I. I, I thought I knew what Christianity was about, having grown up in the Church of England, so I thought, okay, I'll put that to one side. I know what that's about. I'll look elsewhere. But, you know, just seeking material gain and material comfort and so on. But 
In verse 3, he does seek to see Jesus as he comes uh, through Jericho. And again, Jericho is a type of the world. Jesus came into this world to show himself, to teach, to show miracles, to reveal uh, his, his truth. Although, you know, speaking in parables, some of it was hard to understand. But he taught this group of, this team, this group of uh, 12 men and more because we read in another place how he sent out 70 of them. And he was here to teach as well and, of course, to lay down his life for our sins. Um, but he seeks to see Jesus. If we look up what that word means, it actually implies to know him, to know more about him, not just to see him and say, oh, there's that famous man who's been doing miracles, but to know him, know more about him. And he couldn't see him because he was little of stature. It's interesting to look up these words, what they what they mean in the original language, in the Greek that they were written in. And that word is micros, as in micro. He was micro. When you think about it, you know, people in this world, we're all just micro. We're like grains of sand in this, you know, world of, in this, you know, seaside of, of the world. And we're just like a little piece of it. But he goes up to where he can see, where he can know Jesus more. He runs, he climbs up. And uh, Jesus, because Jesus, of course, came to seek and to save, knew. And he didn't just look at the people there. He looks up. He knew all about Zacchaeus already. And he says, come down. I'm going to go to your house. little prophecy in this also. And, of course, uh, he goes and, and dwells in his house. And, and people say, well, this man is a terrible sinner. Well, who wasn't a sinner? We were all sinners. And he's just chosen him as it were, because he's the chief of the publicans, the chief sinner, the most corrupt, the most wealthy, the most worldly. And he's making a point here. Well, I've come to save him as well. And, of course, when he talks about I'm going to come and abide in your house, doesn't Jesus say in another place, my father and I will come and make our abode with you, we'll come and live inside you, we'll put our Holy Spirit in you, and this is your dwelling, your house, and we'll be inside. There's little little hints all through this of, of the salvation story. And Zacchaeus comes and he says, well, I, I realise that I'm on the wrong path. I'm on the path of material comfort and wealth and self-serving. I'm going to give it away and I'm going to make good anything I've done wrong. And Jesus says, salvation has come to your house. Maybe Zacchaeus was part of the 120 on the day of Pentecost, received the Spirit. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was one of the 3,000 who were baptised after the first 120. Maybe the day after or the day after that he came. But we see a conversion in him. We see a, a desire to know Jesus and a climbing up, a, a making an effort to know about him and Jesus seeing him. And he becomes one of the sought-out and one of the saved, as we are. And it just I think the story just reflects how special we are to the Lord, how much trouble he's gone to, to, to come and pass through Jericho, to pass through this world, to find us, to leave his teachings here for us, to die for us, and then to go back, send us a commission. And that commission, that work, he, spoke, he immediately goes on to speak about in the next little story. So we'll read that from verse 11. And, he, and as they heard these things, he added and spoke a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear because he was this man doing all these amazing miracles. 
crowds of people following him, raising people from the dead. They thought, it's got to be. This is the Messiah. The kingdom of God is, is now upon us. But no, of course, we know that the plan is another two days, 2,000 years of um, enduring, waiting for the Lord's return. Anyway, verse 12, he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his 10 servants and delivered them 10 pounds and said unto them, occupy till I come. And I want you to think of these 10 servants as ourselves. The, it's the New Testament church. Uh, the nobleman that goes into a far country is Jesus, and he's going to come back. He's going to return. But his citizens hated him. That's not the, the 10 servants. This is the world. And sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound has gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, I have, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, Lord, thy pound has gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, Be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin, for I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury. And he said unto them that stood by, take from him the pound and give it to him that has 10 pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he has 10 pounds. For I say unto you that unto everyone which hath, hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. Pretty harsh words, aren't they? Pretty um, severe outcome. But the Lord is bringing out in a parable the story of salvation and not salvation, uh, the end of the world, his return, life, and that more abundantly while he's here, while we're here, and life eternally after he returns, or being without those things. And he's making it very black and white, very direct, a division. And we see that there is this uh, exhortation upon us to trade. And what do we trade with? What have we been given? We've been given the truth, the gospel, the good news, the joy of the, of the spirit and the peace that passes understanding, a real experience, a testimony, something we can just open our mouths and start talking about our life, as we've already heard two people do this morning, and it just tumbles out, you know, miracles, uh, blessings, other people seeing our lives, our children, and noticing a change, a difference. And there, we're trading with what we've been given. And in return, what what when you have a trade, there are two things, aren't there? It goes back and forth. What's the other factor? Human souls. So by using what we've been given, we gain human souls. People just by that example, by those words, they they come in, they respond. And they're saved. That's forever if they overcome the day of Jesus' return. That is forever. That is a massive trade. 
just with what you've received, which is massive also, but the words in your mouth come out of your heart, the truth, you know, testimony. It's called a testimony because we testify of the truth of what's happened in our life. And, you know, the person that doesn't trade is hidden it in a napkin. Well, what is that? How does that apply to us today? What would that be like? That would perhaps be just not letting anyone know that you're a Christian at all. He's saying if you just um, put it out to the bank, I would have got some interest on it in verse 23. So I think what he's saying there is if you just let people know you're a Christian, then they can observe your behaviour. They put two and two together. That's something at least. You may not tell anyone, you know, how to get saved, the gospel or whatever, but there's still something, you know, an evidence. Um, He's saying at least you can do that, and we do that, don't we? But he's saying, you know, Another place he talks about people are given different talents and so on and there's different amounts of abilities and so on. And some people are just wonderful evangelists and and that's great. And maybe they, they're the 10-pound, I about to say poms, but no. The ten, <laughs> I, was one of, I was one of those. <laughs> um, no, the 10, and so it's the pastor, so <laughs> um, explain it. <laughs> 10 pounds, you know, just in terms of, They've uh, preached to so many people that uh, so many people have come in. We don't like to name names, but we were down at camp. We were just having a conversation and we were talking about how many people this certain lady has spoken to and how many had come along in the fellowship. You probably know her. She's got white hair to about here. <laughs> you know the one? Um, she spoke to me and I came along, you know, when I was an atheist, didn't want to know about to close the door. She didn't quite put a foot in the door, but she was persistent. And, uh, you know, I'm here today, think. Praise the Lord, 33 years later. So 10 pounds, yeah, great stuff. And then five pounds, you know, we we maybe you're not that compulsive evangelist, but you're uh you like to get to the outreaches because you know if they're organized, I can go and I can go out and I can speak to people on the street or I can stand next to someone else who is, or I can go on a door knock, or maybe I stand next to someone who is speaking, or I can knock on a few doors and I can say hello, can I tell you about my church? That's not so hard. And five five pounds, you know, five souls have come along. You know, we get the message. What he's saying is you're trading with the good news and you're going to bring in human souls. And so when we realise that Jesus came to this earth to, to seek us out, to go about the streets, as I read that verse, to go about the city in the streets, in the broadways, brimming with people, to seek us personally, each one of us, then uh, we can do something for him. And all the people said, amen. All right. Um, just a couple of quick examples from the Old Testament, Amos and Zechariah. Amos chapter 7 first, because I look, this really sort of reminds me of us, you know, in the Revival Fellowship. If you go around, you know, do a survey of people, I don't think you'll find anyone who said, I sat down one day and, and sort of looked through the classified ads and said, which church can I join? Um, it's kind of like the, more like the Lord got out one of those long shepherd's crooks with a hook on the end and sort of grabbed you by the neck and sort of yanked you, you know, And as we've heard in the testimonies today. It's kind of surprising when it happens. And Amos describes that happening to him in verse 13. No, not 13. He, he, the context is he's he's arguing with people who are kind of like the professional prophets, the false prophets, the king's priests and so on and in verse 14 he says then answered Amos and said to Amaziah 
Oh, I'm Zaya. I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. There's that sycamore again. Zacchaeus climbing up into the tree. He could be talking that. Uh, and the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, Go, prophesy unto my people Israel. And then he speaks out boldly. Now, therefore, hear thou the word of the Lord. And he speaks out his prophecy. But he makes this point. I wasn't a prophet. I wasn't one of you people who are like professionals. But the Lord came and found me. He sought me and saved me, made me one of his. I was I had another occupation, in this case a herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. We all had other things we were doing, like Zacchaeus. You know, he was a, a tax collector and he was uh, busy. He was the chief of them, so no doubt he had to organize meetings and conferences and, you know, discussions with all the others. He was busy with the affairs of life and the affairs of men. But God chose him, said, you're one of mine. I've sought you out. I'm going to make you a prophet now. And we are all prophets, you know, according to the gifts of the Spirit. In, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about those gifts. They're all the gifts in all the people. And you're a prophet. If you want to exercise that gift, you know, you can pray for the faith to step out in faith and, and be a prophet in the meeting during the, the gifts of the Spirit. But, you know, in a sense, when you just go and talk to people, you prophesy as you talk to strangers, as you tell them the Lord is coming back. You're saying something that's going to happen in the future. Jesus Christ is coming back. That makes you a prophet. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock and the Lord said unto me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Turn around. Like, don't be fishermen anymore. Don't mend your nets anymore. Follow me. We're going to do something else now. And that's what we've done, haven't we? Our lives have changed since we received the Holy Spirit, since the, this thing came. We hear that Michael went down and sat in the pub and told everyone his experience, and they said, that's great, fantastic for you. We're not going to do that. We're going to stay here. I bet that's the last time you went there, right, Michael? Yep. So that was the end. He turned around and went another way, followed the Lord, just as Amos did here. Go prophesy unto my people Israel. The opposite example is in Zechariah 13, and it's an interesting story because the false prophets here get found out, and they say the opposite. So the very prophetic book, a lot about the Lord's return here and judgment and so on, and um, idolatry and so on being found out as false religion, all the things that people worship in this world. And it says the prophets are going to be ashamed in verse 4. And then and they'll realize the things they've been saying. They were just deceiving the people. They might have worn rough garments. It says in verse 4, you know, like wearing a sackcloth and pretending they were very holy and very pious and very um, religious people. So they deceived people. And then they would say things which weren't real prophecies and people would believe them. And they will say on the day that they're found out in verse 5, but he shall say, I am no prophet, I am a husbandman, for man has taught me to keep cattle from my youth. And they'll actually acknowledge, I'm not a real prophet. I'm not one of the Lord's real prophets. I'm just a, you know, a farmer, basically. And uh, that's the difference. There's a real feeling, of, there's a real salvation of being sought out by the Lord, uh, being part of the body, of having a commission to use that pound that you've been given. And there's, you know, there's a false way that you could sort of pretend, 
you know, you can call yourself a name, a Christian, anointed it means, you can walk on the Broadway, it's it's okay, most people won't challenge that. But when it comes to the crunch, it's going to be revealed and you that person will have to acknowledge, no, I am no prophet. Be like Amos and and be the prophet. Um, Proverbs chapter 6, slight change of tack here. Proverbs 6, and in light of those verses in Luke 19 about being given a commission, the pound, and trading, a bit of advice here in the Old Testament in verse 6, it says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which, having no guide, overseer or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. And if the Bible says something like this, consider and be wise, then it's worth looking into it and thinking about it. And why would it say that? And why would it commend the ant? Well, think about this. The ant is the most cooperative animal on the planet, apparently. The most cooperative animal on the planet. It doesn't really operate as an individual. It only exists as a colony. You don't get individual ants. They actually can't reproduce unless they're part of a colony, obviously. There are 10 trillion ants in the world, 10,000 trillion ants in the world, apparently. I don't know how they how they count all of that. <laughs> they must have a team. Their combined weight is the same as the weight of all human beings. Right? So there's 7 billion odd, or probably heading for 8 billion human beings. So you get all those 10,000 trillion ants together and put them on one end of the scale and put all of us on the other side and they're about, it's about the same. There are 16,000 different species. I mean, the Lord has put so many different things in his creation to sort of teach his plan, hasn't he? You know, you can you can go into anything and you'll find, you know, the Lord's sort of like hidden code, message. And when you, when you look at ants, um, they work together. I, I, I was thinking about ants because I've been having a few battles with ants lately. <laughs> Anyone else had any battles with ants? Oh, look at all those ants. <laughs> well, down in a caravan, they they laid, well, apparently ants can lay 300 million eggs, the queen, in her lifetime. Well, I think most of those were in our caravan. <laughs> so we managed to get them out. <laughs> A bit, a bit of poison and so on. But anyway, the other ones at home, these tiny, tiny little ones, they've taken a liking to the cat food. So I thought, okay, I'm going to move the cat food outside. And I thought it was really clever. I got a great big bowl, put some water in it and put the bowl of cat food in the middle of the water. There's a moat. Right? Did that stop them? No. Ants can walk on water. <laughs> I, I know Peter walked on water. But these ants, either they walk on water or they make a human, I'm not a human, an ant bridge, and they walk over the top of each other to get there. But they, they, they lay down their lives so that other ones can get there. And in the bottom of this water are all the dead ones, and the other ones walk over the top of them to get the food. And then the massive ants in the cat food, cat biscuits, and I don't know how they get them out of there and carry them back across the, the ant bridge. I think that's a bit too much for them, but it hasn't stopped the ant problem at home. There's all these ant baits around the place and they just walk over them inside out and just disdain them. Doesn't make a difference. 
So a couple of days they disappeared. I thought I've won. And then they were back worse than ever. So they worked together as a team and they are so determined they lay down their lives for the purpose of the colony. And they've got some clever little tricks. Apparently uh, they, they can drop, there's a thing called a defuse gland. They've got all sorts of glands in that tiny little abdomen at the end. And there's this tiny little one called defuse gland. This scientist tried all the glands and would smear some of the stuff you know, on a um, tile, and they would just walk all over it and didn't care. But when this one particular gland was excreted, Dafur's gland, and made a wiggly line, they all followed the wiggly line. So that's what they do. When they find something, they leave a trail of this stuff, and all the other ants follow it and find the food source. Um, worker ants, they're female, they're all females. They do all the work, and all the ladies sit. They only live for a week, but they collect 20 times their own body weight in food in a short one-week lifetime. And so you know, how do we we come back to the scripture, consider her ways and be wise? So if we consider her ways, we kind of leave safe trails for each other to follow, you know, guidance, doctrine, scripture. We gather food for one another, and that might be literal or it might be uh, spiritual or it might be just you know, an encouraging conversation. Um, and we can easily do 20 times our own body weight in scriptural good advice, can't we? No, we've, it's just it's a never-ending well, thanks to the Lord. Um, and just as this uh, colony is, is, the, is the purpose of their life, so too it, we are part of the body of Christ. We lay down our lives for each other, Jesus said, not just for him but for each other and um, provide meat and food in the harvest for one another so that we, we make it through this, this kind of wilderness time, not much food in the wilderness, and we make it to the end of the wilderness when Jesus returns and we're in the promised land. Um, okay, we'll finish up in John chapter 15. John 15. And in verse 16, I quoted this already or part of it. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. So he's chosen us. He wants us to go forth just like the ant or just like all the disciples and bring forth fruit, bring forth saved souls, but also happy brothers and sisters as well. And um, Zacchaeus changed and he turned around and I think I was just making a list of some of the disciples we read about in the New Testament who don't have a big story written about them, but they were in there just like ants, sort of helping everybody. Stephen, uh, waiting on tables, eventually stands up uh, and preaches and loses his life. Barnabas, Philip, Tabitha, Eunice, Priscilla, and the list goes on. You know, just people who were part of this New Testament church, which we are also part of. The Lord has chosen each and every one of us. He sought us out. He's found us. He wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to ask for things so that we can, you know, he knows we have need of things that the Gentiles need. So he's going to give them to us so that we can seek first the kingdom of God. And in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So always looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.